Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Friday, the 11th of September, 2020. What gets you upset? I'm sure we probably all have a list of things that particularly get under our skin. You know, certain things that maybe we would consider pet peeves, things that more than other things really get to us and maybe get us fired up or even sometimes get us angry. Well, we don't really want to talk about that list or or your desires or preferences today. We want to talk about God. Are there things that make God upset? Are there things that make God angry? Now, it's difficult to, to compare us and God because unfortunately, many of the things that make us angry are selfish and many of the ways we express that anger are unrighteous. But when we look at scripture, it is clear that there are things that make God angry. And we have to understand that's very different from us, that his anger is always over good reasons and always expressed in right ways. And we see this throughout scripture. You think of Proverbs that says there are, you know, seven things the Lord hates and and lists uh, different things like pride and lies and and all these different things or things that are an abomination to the Lord. But we're going to see in particular something that God really seems to respond strongly to throughout the Bible. And we are going to see that in Psalm 106, 16 to 27. Psalm 106, 16 to 27. And it talks about things that, that happened. And it, particularly, it talks about when they made the golden calf. So these are things happening in the context of, of Exodus and the wandering through the wilderness. So they make the golden calf. And in verse 21, they forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt. They forgot God and they made these golden calves. Verse 23, therefore, God said that he would destroy them, right? And it says that Moses then stood in the breach and turned away God's wrath. So we see them forgetting God. God got angry at that. And then in verse 24, it says, then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in the promise. And I think this is referring to numbers when it talks about the 12 spies who go in and 10 of them come back and say, we can't do it. The the cities are too well defended. The people are too big. And they murmur against Moses. They complain that God has brought them out in the wilderness to die. And even it says that they want to pick new leaders and go back to Egypt. And then it says in verse 26, therefore, God raised his hand and swore to them, that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. And we see all those people died in the wilderness. And then in the future, God said, if you disobey me, I will scatter you throughout uh, the nations. And that's what happens eventually in the exile. And so we see these things that they forget God and that they don't trust God. It says that they had no faith in his promise. Lack of faith is incredibly offensive to God. 
And we have to realize, again, there might be some level where somebody, even them not trusting you, does get you upset because you've earned their trust. But this is on such a higher degree that it's hard to even compare. God had done the 10 plagues on Egypt, and he, he showed that to them. And he had led them through the Red Sea, and yet still they did not trust him to take them into the promised land. I want to ask you today about your faith. And I want us to start thinking differently about a lack of faith in our own lives. That's not just some, oh, cute little problem. No, that's incredibly offensive to God when we don't remember all the great things that he has done and then therefore trust him, show that we have faith in him. So even I want you to particularly think about anxiety and fear in your own life. And we need to see that ultimately when we, when we embrace anxiety or fear, we are rejecting the history of God's faithfulness and we are not choosing to trust God. And that is a big problem in God's eyes. And already remember what we talked about yesterday. It talks about how they forgot. They did not remember the abundance of God's steadfast love. When we choose to turn our eyes off of that and to give in to fear or anxiety, we are not trusting God. We are not remembering the abundance of his steadfast love. And ultimately from our vantage point on this side of the cross, we're not remembering that God gave his own son for us. And therefore, What will he not do to take care of his people? And so we need to see that fear or anxiety in our lives is is a big problem. Now, I I do want to be clear uh, that that doesn't mean we'll never experience fear or ever experience being anxious. But what I'm talking about is how do we respond to those things? And at some point, we we go down a certain road. We give in to that fear. We let that fear dominate our thinking. We give in to that anxiety and let it rule over us. That is a sinful response. One thing that I love about the Bible is that if you actually read it, it does not present this rosy picture of a world where everything is just fine and everything always works out just great and everybody's happy. No, it it shows us the real world. There are difficult things. There are scary things in life. But I think that's even something we see in the Psalms, especially Psalms of David. We see moments where there is fear, there is anxiety, there is something scary going on. But in those moments, He is turning his trust to God. He is responding to the things that make him afraid or anxious by turning to God. And so that's what I want to encourage you. I'm not trying to paint some rosy picture where, hey, we'll never experience fear and we'll never, you know, feel our pulse rate go up or our our stomach get a little queasy because we're anxious. No, we may experience those things, but what are we doing in those moments? Forgetting God and focusing on our fear or our anxiety or running to God, remembering all that he has done and choosing, even in spite of our fear, to trust him. He has earned 
that trust. And when we fail to do that, it is offensive to God and we need to see it that way. And speaking of the Bible, not painting these rosy pictures, I want us to turn to Ecclesiastes. And today we're looking at chapters five through eight. And we talked yesterday about how Solomon, there's this repeated refrain throughout this book that there is nothing better for basically a man to enjoy life, even to enjoy his toil. And again, on some level, that can sound like, oh, you know, some, uh, you know, idealistic picture, you know, where let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya and let's, you know, sing, hey, don't worry, be happy. Uh, You know, things that we could hear anybody say in the world. I think today helps us see, no, there's more thought to it than that. And it's not a happiness or an enjoyment that does, that's just coming from a frivolous, don't worry, be happy mindset. It's really rooted in the character of God. Again, he talks in chapter five about the futility ultimately of riches and that, uh, that that's not going to make the ultimate difference. And there will be rich people that die and what good is their money to them, them then? And again, the refrain comes back in verse 18, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. That he's saying ultimately, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, we need to focus on God, accept what he has given us and find joy in it. And then ultimately, our life won't be all about our successes or our failures or the ups and the downs, but God will keep us busy with joy in our hearts. But I think we see that this isn't some rosy picture, especially as we get into chapter seven, because he's not promoting some kind of frivolous, hey, just go out there and have fun and have a party, you know, enjoy it while you can. Because he says things like, you know what? It's better to go to a funeral than to a party. And he talks about how we should think more about death. And even he says things like sorrow is better than laughter. And by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. So he's not encouraging us to reject thinking about the serious things in life. He's saying, no, we need to dig into those things. We are going to die. That's our end. And sorrow is actually useful because it makes us think deeper thoughts. And we'll find a joy in all of that that is deeper than what the world has to offer. And so let's see from Ecclesiastes and let's make sure we understand this isn't just some frivolous, worldly, go have fun, don't worry about anything, just dance through life. No, it's saying actually think seriously about life and death and eternity. And when we do that, We will have an enjoyment that doesn't look like going out and having a party, but we'll find enjoyment even when we're working hard because we know who God is. We understand how short life is, and we will enjoy each day as a gift and our circumstances as a gift from God. Now, our New Testament passages today, I think, are particularly useful in this weird and contentious year that we are going through. And we're wrapping up the book of Titus and reading chapter three today. 
And there's so much going on in the world around us, and we need to think uniquely about that as Christians. And as we wrap up Titus, really we're wrapping up the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, three letters that were written by Paul to these two younger men who were pastors, and he is discipling them really in leadership and what the church should be like, what pastors should do. And in this, we, we kind of see two different warnings. One, we see that pastors and then by extension, really all Christians, we do need to be serious about what is true. There are things that we need to contend for. Even Paul says he fought the good fight. And there are truths that we need to stand up for and say, no, this is truth. And this over here, this is error. This is wrong. But there's also warnings against people that would be pugnacious or people that would would love fighting and want to disagree and argue about everything. And, and both of those extremes are rejected in the pastoral epistles. The, no, the, the, the pastor needs to be clear about what is right and wrong, but he needs to do that in a way where he's not just trying to stoke up a fight about every little thing. And that's really what we see in Titus chapter three. And it's good for us to consider not just those of us that are pastors, but for every Christian, especially in a year where there's so many things going on around us that can be contentious. Listen to how it begins. It says, remember, sorry, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And, and so we, we see here that even though Paul has already told Titus, hey, you need to contend for sound doctrine and truth and error, but hey, here in the midst of this world, we're not looking for every fight. And we need to live in a certain way, even to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all all people. And he goes on to explain why. And Titus 3.5 is actually a pretty famous verse in the New Testament when it comes to even proving the idea that we are justified by grace through faith, not by works. It says, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. But the context of that is this, one of the reasons we shouldn't be contentious people in the world around us is there should be a humility that comes from, I wasn't saved because I was doing the right thing. In fact, as it says in verse three, I used to be foolish and led astray and a slave to various passions and pleasures, but he saved me. And that's the mindset that all of us need to have. And it's easy for a lot of people, easy just to be a, a pushover and, well, I'm just going to agree with everybody about everything. No, a Christian shouldn't do that. We have to be clear about what is true and what is, and what is error. But we also have to remember, not only should we not be per pushovers, we shouldn't be pugnacious and just wanting to fight about anything and everything. And even when we stand for the truth, there should be a uniqueness in the way that we do that. And we should have sympathy for those around us. Again, we, we talked earlier this week about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And who is the tax collector to you? Well, today in the Gospel of Luke, we see a story about an actual tax collector, a famous one. If you went to Sunday school way back in the day, you, you remember him as a wee little man. And that is Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus was a wee little man, the old Sunday school song goes, meaning he was short. So he climbed up into the tree to see Jesus and Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus's house. And what do we see? We see Zacchaeus repent. We see Zacchaeus realize I've been doing wrong things and that needs to change and I need to follow Christ. May that be a reminder, even as in this year that we're in and we look out at the world and see people uh, saying crazy things that we think, no, we need to contend against the error that is in our world. Let's not forget that we ourselves were once foolish and led astray and let's never stop preaching the gospel to others and praying that we would see modern day Zacchaeuses. People right now that are living for themselves, that are rejecting God, rejecting his word, that we would see them turn from their sins and put their faith in Christ. And let's not forget that we serve a God who is able and excited to do just that. And he's proven that by, hey, he's done it with us. And if we've been saved, that really God can save anyone. And let's keep seeking that in our world today. We know that a lack of faith in God is something that does cause him to be upset. We see that in scripture, but we also know we've seen earlier in the gospel of Luke, seeing sinners turn from a lack of faith and put their faith in Christ, seeing people repent. That is something that makes God happy. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.